of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one who doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Is that all right with the sound? Yes? Okay. Jesus, God's presence with us. We were created to enjoy God's presence, weren't we? We were created to live in relationship with him in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve knew God's presence with them. And even after they were banished from the Garden, we read of God's interaction with man on the journey from Egypt into the Promised Land, with the stories of Elijah and Elisha and Daniel and many other Old Testament prophets and heroes, until eventually the temple in Jerusalem became the place of God's presence, until Jesus. In John 14, verse 23, Jesus says, "'Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching, 
My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. This promise, the promise of God to be present with his people, was fulfilled with the coming of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And in our passage today from John 17, Jesus prays for his disciples. For the time when he'll no longer be physically present, but instead the Holy Spirit will dwell within us when we accept Jesus. And that will restore the possibility of the intimate relationship with God that we lost in the Garden of Eden. His death and his resurrection have made it possible for us to be forgiven and to enjoy the presence of God. And one day when Jesus returns, we'll know the visible presence of God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. As some of you know, I don't like football very much. But for some reason, both my children support Everton. Real supporters, they've both got season tickets. So they take it very seriously. Years ago, Everton had a bright rising star in their youth squad. You've probably heard of him because he's in the news quite often. It's Wayne Rooney. But he changed sides. He moved to Manchester United. And even now, years on, when he plays for Manchester at Everton, the crowd sings. I asked my son what the words were and he said they weren't repeatable. <laughs> and if he scores a goal, well, you can imagine that. <laughs> he changed sides and the Everton crowd don't let him forget it. And we've changed sides, haven't we? When we made a decision to be a disciple of Jesus, we changed sides. We became a citizen of the kingdom of God. So when we live as citizens of our new kingdom, when we tell others about what Jesus has done for us, the opposition starts shouting. It tries to distract us and to pull us off the path. But Jesus is praying for us, praying for our protection. And we know the ending already, don't we? That he's overcome the opposition. So we don't have to be broken by the taunts and troubles that are thrown at us. Jesus knows we face opposition, so he prays for us. When we're tempted to sin, he's praying for us. When people laugh at us or taunt us, he's praying for us. When we face persecution, he's praying for us. When we face the trials and ups and downs of life, no matter how big or small, he's praying for us. Because Hebrews 7 tells us that he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them, for us. Jesus is praying for us. What does he pray for? For me, in the passage that Kay read, two strands stand out. He prays for our protection and that we would be a holy people. Let's look at protection first. In verse 15, he puts us into the care of his father. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. The same God who created the universe and all we know extends his protection to us. 
If we could only grasp the extent of God's protection for us, then we would understand why, in almost every book of the Bible, God's people are told to fear not. When we face opposition or temptation or sin in the world or around us, the Bible, God's word, tells us to fear not. Jesus is praying for our protection. I've had to read through the ordination service several times over the past few years, and there's one version of the Anglican service which says, Will you seek for Christ's sheep that are dispersed abroad, and for his children who are in the midst of this naughty world, that they may be saved through Christ forever? I think naughty world is a bit of an understatement, and I'm glad that they've changed that bit. And although this is a particular charge that the church asks of its clergy, Jesus charges each one of us with the same. His followers are charged with the same charge. In Matthew 28, we're told to go and make disciples of all nations, and that will bring opposition. Bonhoeffer said in 1933, I'm still discovering right up to this moment that it is only by living completely in the world that one learns to have faith. Faith in the call that God has given each one of us. Faith in his protection of us. Faith in his presence with us. Because the Bible tells us, despite everything, God so loves the world. And as Bonhoeffer reminds us, we're not called to separate ourselves and work to become holy in a space that's defined and protected by religious convention, to cut ourselves out from the world. But instead, we're called to be present with Christ in the world, to be there in God's name and God's presence in both confusion and order alike, standing with Christ, standing in that place in the world where God has chosen to be. Actually, I I sometimes think that the world seems quite happy for us to be in the world, running food banks, looking after the poor and the vulnerable, educating our children. We don't face much opposition, do we? And often our efforts are praised. But if we try to preach the gospel, then we quite often find out what opposition means. All of our efforts to serve, to do, to build relationships with the community around us are admirable and are often welcomed, but we mustn't lose sight of the Great Commission to go and make disciples. And it's often when we take hold of the Great Commission and live as disciples of Jesus that we start to find that the world isn't such a friendly, welcoming place. That's why we need the protection of God. In verse 11, Jesus prays, Holy Father, Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. He prays for our protection not only from the world, but also from division with each other. We are to be one as Jesus and the Father are one. Our unity is our unity in God and in what he is doing At communion later this morning, we'll pray that he will unite us in the body of his son. That doesn't mean we won't have differences. But if we do, then we'll seek to resolve them with integrity. 
If there's conflict, it won't lead to destruction, but instead is worked through and is, if necessary, the difference lived with. The power of God, of the Holy Spirit working through us and in us, brings to us the ability to live in godly unity, because ultimately our unity is in God and in what God is doing. There are no self-sufficient, isolated disciples in the kingdom of God. Moving on through the passage, we come to verse 17 and my second theme. Verses 17 to 19 say, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Sanctify means to set apart. It's the same root as the word holy. Jesus is praying that we would be distinctive, be sanctified, be holy, that we would be sanctified by his word, the word Jesus brought to us, the message we can read in the Bible, the word of God. When we read the Bible and act on what it says, our lives will change. His word will convict us, lead us, shape us and transform us into God's holy people. So, being practical, how do we experience God's presence with us? The passage tells us Jesus has given us God's word. Last week, I was listening to John Bell from the Iona community. He was on Thought for the Day. And he was saying that his life had been defined by a few words his mother had said to him as a small boy. She said, to care for the poor, the powerless, the vulnerable, the oppressed. Those words have shaped his life and his ministry. Words have the power to shape us. I'm sure some of us can remember words that were spoken to us many years ago, words that helped to shape us and define us. For some of us, there'll be words that brought life and vision, but for some, the words will have destroyed or diminished. That is the power of words. Words are powerful. And God's word, the Bible, can shape us. As God's people, we need to dwell in God's word, allow his words to take root in our hearts and minds, allow his words to be given life by the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us, to bring us nourishment and life to experience God's present presence in the life the Holy Spirit brings. And if we have experienced words that have hurt or diminished us, then we can allow God's word, his truth, to heal us and set us free so that we can live under the shadow of his wing of protection. And so... To draw to a close, I'd like to ask three questions of us. Years ago, just before he died, an elderly man who I barely knew, but I'd been in the same church as him for years, told me that from the first time he noticed me, he'd had a prompt to pray for me every day, and I didn't know. But he listened to God, and God heard his prayers, 
and I believe that his prayers and the prayers of others over the years are one of the reasons that why, through all the ups and downs of life, I have known the faithful presence of God. A few months ago, Ben asked if some of us would pray for the young people by name, and many of us responded. But for those of you who didn't, is there someone you feel you should be praying for daily, even if you don't know them very well? Imagine what a difference we would see in our church community, in our spiritual walk, in our outreach, if every person in this church was being prayed for daily. Jesus prays for each one of us. If we're not already doing so, could we commit to pray for someone in our fellowship daily? Secondly, Nehemiah tells us how he appointed watchmen whilst the people of God rebuilt Jerusalem. I know that there are people in this church who've been called over the years to be watchmen, to watch and pray for our protection, to be prophetic voices as we serve God. But is God asking more of us to this ministry, to be watchmen, to commit and pray for our fellowship daily? And finally, as some of you know, I've been learning Welsh for a good few years. I'm not very good at it. But one of my favourite Welsh words is heraith. It doesn't have a translation into English. But the best meaning that I can get to is the place where my soul longs to be. It's a word that speaks to me intimately of where I long to be. As the psalmist says, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. Where is the place your soul longs to be? Is it in God's presence, moving in the power and truth of the Holy Spirit, allowing his word to convict you, to heal you, to inspire you, experiencing the grace and presence of God in your life, reaching out to those around you? Where is the place your soul longs to be? Amen.